0: Welcome everyone to Rockin' Nation Podcast. This is a brand new episode of Dive Cuts, our SB Nation College Top 10 Podcast. We are on Season 5, Episode 31, here to talk about your Missouri Tigers and their basketball program. I am your host, Sam Snelling, with me as always from the Plains of Indiana, Matthew J. Harris. Matt,
1: how are you? The more often you mention that this is a Top 10 Podcast, I just <laughs> feel like the universe is going to punish you by like dropping us to like 30th. You're, you've just slowly angered people with your with your hubris that they've tuned <laughs> out, and we're gonna get the next like Excel file, and it's gonna say Rockham Nation Podcast twenty seventh, and yeah. then you're just gonna leave that little uh, laurel out of your spiel when you start the pod. Beware! Like I, Beware! I do-
0: I do trust the readers at this point or listeners, I guess I should say it's a podcast uh, to know that um, like I include that like almost as like a little joke at this point. Like it's sure. Sure. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's cool that we're in that group, but we're also like it's that list is based on like sheer download numbers. And there are other blogs that like record a podcast like every day. So I I mean, those people I care are more insane. about our, like, yeah, I, like I've always cared more about like our per episode listeners and making sure that like, we're, we're keeping a, you know, a steady group of folks that are listening to those that do. We appreciate, we would like to grow our audience obviously, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, the, the top 10 stuff is, is mostly a joke at this point. I just like throwing it in there cause it's, it's part of the spiel.
1: But, <laughs> but we do have actual basketball to talk about. Um, there you know, were
0: basketball things that happened, uh, despite us not recording a podcast last
1: week. Not, not things that people may want to hear us talk a lot about, but they happened. So uh, as we respond to news and analyze it, we, we're almost obligated. Now we are obligated to talk about it. So uh, it feels like
0: it's been like forever since we've had good, positive, like, roster edition news. Um, and earlier, that was just earlier this week. Yeah, on two days ago. That felt like a week ago. Um, so as we record on Wednesday, May 11th, Monday, uh, Jamarian Sharp, who was, I guess, the Missouri Tigers' top target in the transfer portal, opted to basically go back to Western Kentucky. Um, a lot of people were surprised by this news. I wasn't. Shocked. I was a little surprised that maybe it didn't play out a little bit longer. Um, There were still a lot of people in Memphis, a lot of people in Houston, a lot of people in Columbia that were confident they were going to get this kid, all for him to basically turn around and go home. Um, So he's he's kind of from that area. He grew up not far from Western Kentucky campus. Uh, Yeah, so that saga appears to be over. Matt, what are your thoughts on... Mizzou not landing uh, the seven foot five uh, block shot a minute uh, Wunderkind uh, from Western
1: Kentucky. There are two parts of me that you know respond to the story. The first one is, and I'll just get it out of the way: I'm happy that a school like Western Kentucky is going to hold on to a guy that could arguably make them an NCAA tournament team out of the out of the CUSA. You know they've got some veterans coming back that they've added Dante Yallen, a, a Kentucky transfer who I think is a really good fit for that level. Who I think is going to be a really, really, you know, vital kind of asset as a shooter for them. They he, he they, won't have to defend
0: in the SEC, which is which is a positive.
1: Yeah, yeah, that that will help. <laughs> and scoring you know, was never his problem. Scoring was never his problem. Um, and they are going to hope to rehabilitate Christian Lander. Um, a former five star point guard out of Evansville and down in the beard of Indiana. He's actually probably <laughs> closer to Bowling Green than he is to Bloomington. Um, so they, they've got some pieces there that I think can elevate that program. That, you know, it's never been an issue for Rick Stansbury to get talent to Bowling Green. Um, maximizing it uh, is probably the bigger issue. But setting that aside, you know, Jamarion Sharp, you know, has been recruited by Rick since 10th or 11th grade. You know, Rick helped steer him to John A. Logan College, where he met Kyle Smith Peters, now a Missouri assistant. His family is from Hopkinsville, which, as you mentioned, is nearby. Everything on paper, there you want a kid like that to stay in that program and help elevate it and take it to the its potential. And this is a case where I think you know, this is nil at its best. Bigger programs come in. You know, that community, that fan base rallies, they put together a package to keep him there. A lot like what Slough did with Yuri Collins and a lot like Detroit did with, you know, uh Antoine, Antoine Davis. David. So in those situations, that's kind of cool. You know, we've this has been the spring of everyone sort of decrying the end of college sports because of NIL. Well, this is what I think People envisioned NIL doing at its best, and that's helping these these guys, you know, really maximize their final one or two years of college, but stay where they are. So I think it's cool that, that Jamarian's going to stay and going to, you know, help try and, you know, fulfill that program's potential and what its vision, you know, of success is. Conversely, though, it leaves Missouri in a really, really tight spot
0: because. Yeah, but- it- <laughs>
1: Because that this was a piece that I've, you know, I've been, I've been slowly chipping away at an analysis of what this new roster looks like. I've held off publishing it because I wanted to see whether or not they were going to get this keystone in Jamari and Sharp. And a keystone in the sense of Sharp is not a high usage guy offensively. He cannot create his own offense. You cannot throw it to him on the block. But he's incredibly mobile. He's a good roller. He's got good hands, improving hands. The difference is he's got to develop some sort of post move for when he catches down there and some sort of ability, maybe out to 5 to 10 feet. That's really raw and you know never came around, but you can see all the physical tools there. For him to be a really, really good option as a, as a cutter, a roller, and kind of a dump-off guy in the short corner, he just needs some basic post moves that he can rely on to get to a scoring move and sort of punish teams that way if they go on switches against him. When I watch him on tape, you know, for his shot, for his propensity for blocking shots, he doesn't foul a lot. He's not a big foul guy. He only averaged 4.4 fouls per 40 minutes. He's really, really good in at trail blocks. He's really good at understanding how to rotate. He's under. He understands, you know, when to contest and, you know, when to just play with straight verticality. He'd have been a perfect anchor, for the back line of Gates' defensive systems, whether it's man or zone. And that really, I think, would have allowed everybody in front of him to be really, really focused and be aggressive in switches. I think it would have allowed some guys, even like Kobe Brown, to be aggressive in passing lanes because you know you have a guy behind you. Maybe the box score impact's not huge, but his presence and how he sort of exists as a system fit, I think would have really, really elevated Missouri from a team that I think right now is a roster that's probably – in it as a peak to maybe yeah, getting an eight or nine better than they were a year like better than they year. were a year ago but you plugged your in not sharp drastically in. better <laughs> not, but you plugged your sharp in now you've got a team that you can start kind of having a discussion about going from 140 and kim bomb to getting on the bubble um mm-hmm. so that i think that's just sort of the opportunity missed here but the trade-off is you know a kid gets to stay in and do kind of I think what most fans you know want, which is to not have their program rated. So it's it, it it's a little bit of a mixed feelings there. But um, now Mizzou's got to pivot really really late in the cycle. And
0: I I mean I'm
1: not entirely
0: sure where they go because I mean we've we um, you know we we pretty diligently tracked uh, the transfer portal. I mean as as best as you can. Um, there's Lots of content out there on Twitter and and a lot of the kids, you know, when they're, especially the ones that are maybe transferring up and are getting power five interest, they want people to know that, like, like, this is the first time they've really kind of gone through a big time recruiting process. So it tends to be a little more public, but not everybody's like that. Um, and as far as we know, like the board is clear. Um, we tracked everybody that Missouri came in contact with or at least was announced um and everyone has been marked off uh whether that means committed to another school uh or cut Missouri from the list um
1: or just an initial contact that didn't go anywhere
0: yeah so there's there's nobody that we know of that's left and i mean there's still some intriguing uh you know players out there i i think everyone at this point looks at what the roster uh has sort of become over the last you know few months and and looked at all the players who have been added and you see like a glaring hole at center um you know mohammed diara is a uh you know a, more of like that kind of hybrid forward. Um, You know, he is going to have to play the five. Uh, You're probably going to have, you know, Ronnie DeGray and Kobe uh, Brown and Noah Carter, even Noah Carter and Aiden Shaw, all all kind of splitting time at the five um, as it stands right now. So ideally, like they'd be able to go out and find somebody that's, that's serviceable. Um, You know, I, I, I think the, the idea of maybe landing a guy that's, Impactful enough to sort of put you in a conversation for the NCAA bubble, uh, basically, you know, walk right back to, uh, to Bowling Green, Kentucky. So, um, you know, there's there were a couple of other guys that Missouri had contacted, but they had, you know, I think, uh, FA Abu Giddy, Abu Giddy, from Washington State, um, garnered a lot of interest. So, uh, but he he cut his list of like 30 schools down to like 15 and Missouri was not one of them. So I don't know if he's cut it any further, but uh, anybody for you that's out there that you think maybe uh, Missouri should take a look at.
1: Um, I've put it in the piece that we had today. That was just sort of a Q and a piece on the site. I'd look at Curtis Wahab um, who was at Maryland last year, but started his career at Georgetown Uh, rumors now that he may actually go back to Georgetown uh, so that that may preclude anything else, but that's that's just you know anything that's kind of akin to the Adam Miller chatter. There's nothing, there's nobody reputable that I've seen that's reported that yes, this is a legit thing. There's just sort of you know internet chatter about him going back, but Curtis is more of a traditional five. Um, he's you know six eleven, about two fifty. Not a you know not a high end shot blocker. Only a four point three percent block rate but the guy can absolutely pound the defensive glass. He plays good positional defense and he can be a low usage, high efficiency score for you on dump offs. You can throw the ball into him on post plays, average roller, you know, not going to you know change your life that way. He's not the same kind of, I think if you watched um, Jamari Sharp, he looked really fluid and comfortable laterally. He can move left to right up and down, slid his feet really well. You weren't going to like put him in a ton of switches, but he was comfortable there i think quodis would be a little bit more of a problem if you know you asked him to you know slide and play in space but if you need a guy who's going to give you 40 50 percent of minutes you know 18 to 24 minutes a night he could be an option for you and he's you know played three seasons of high major basketball you know when he's been in the right situations he's been pretty efficient so i think that could be a guy um washington state had another guy a a four-star borderline five-star guy, Mohamed Guay, I think in pronouncing his name correctly, who went in the portal a couple of weeks ago. Um, again, West Coast kid, a prolific prep kid out of California. Uh, Kyle Smith's kind of made some inroads with that program, uh, which is kind of I think near like um the Napa Valley region there. But bringing some bigs up to Wazoo, those guys have now gone away from uh, Pullman. Uh, but Guay is kind of. A guy in the uh, Giddy and Sharp model. A little bit more fluid, a little bit more dynamic in space, but there's no real reported connection there. Outside of that, you really, really start to get into you know, very, very small options here. There's about 10 guys if you looked at um, Bart Torvik's transfer portal that played at least 40% of minutes at center last year. You know, guys who were 6th, 7th guy or better in their rotation. So It's not a deep pool right now. Um, You know, the question may be, do they pivot back to uh, the JUCO market again and see if they can't get someone and, you know, sort of mine some contacts there? Or do they maybe try and see if they can't hunt down a 2023 kid that, you know, wants to reclass up? But uh, the market is a little bit thin at the post position right now. It's actually probably better on the wing than in the post, but there's not a lot of options that at least jump out. Off the page, you know, on a cursory glance.
0: Well, so yeah, you almost wonder if, like, you know, are there any, you know, prep prospects out there? Um, I think you had mentioned in Slack today that it didn't sound like they were pursuing any any JUCO guys. Um, there were some interesting JUCO prospects uh, that have since committed that we were sort of you know um, tipped off onto, but. Those guys have gone elsewhere, so we're, we're basically at a point where there's two open scholarships, and no real idea on how they're going to get filled. But Gates seems confident that they're going to fill those spots. Um, somebody's going to be wearing that uniform.
1: Yeah, I I think you got to fill at least one of them. To me, if they had just landed sharp, and you know, called it a. A cycle, I'd have been fine with that. I is there great jump shooting on this team right now? No. But there's enough wing depth and enough pieces that sort of fit. I think Cal Gates wants to play that you could have overcome that. And there are some ways to kind of hack that problem next year. So I didn't think it was, you know, they weren't gonna find, you know, a really, really elite isolation score. You know, they didn't necessarily you know, they could have gotten by without a great jump shooting. But I think, you know, a lot of what makes Gates' system work is having, you know, some legit at least some legit link at that five spot and a mobile five at that who's comfortable in space. Where that guy comes from, I'm not sure. Um, but I think that's sort of the template you want. Diara, you know, maybe a summer in the weight room and at the training table, you know, gives him 10 or 15 pounds of muscle, but he's still going to need probably 10 or 12 games just to get used to the physicality, speed, pace, all that kind of stuff that normally comes from making the move up. So if you're willing to live with some growing pains right now, you know, maybe you could go get another jump shooter and just say, you know, this is year one. We're going to just try and spackle it together, but there's no obvious solution out there right now you know, that I think is going to elevate this roster. I say that now, but that I think is going to, you know, have the kind of impact that I think fans were envisioning when sharp came on the market and then decided to stay put. Yeah. Uh, I think I,
0: I agree with your sort of assessment. If, if there were like a few other options out there, at least that we were kind of clued into, then it might be helpful. But, you know, the, the rest of the, you know, the 2022 recruiting has been, pretty quiet and uh and so you know soon enough we're gonna have to start talking about 2023 kids and and i mean he's already got offers up 2024 2025 the 2025 Um, offers
1: are the most interesting ones because he's making them
0: yeah those are um some young kids 2025 matt um yeah, so we will. I mean, obviously, if some more news comes on it, we'll we'll talk about that. I don't really know where else to go. Uh, talking about you know potential guys that we don't really have an idea on who, who they might be looking at. So let's talk about the good news. Um, on Monday, uh, Dennis Gates announced his uh, full coaching staff, and Matt, it's a big one.
1: It's robust. Uh, okay. Hope they have enough office space over there. Yeah. <laughs> Who who's getting an office? Who's getting a cubicle? That's the question at this point. Um. No. So let's
0: let's run this this through real quick. So previously, uh, they had announced uh Charlton C Y Young as the associate head coach, uh, Dicky Nutt and um Kyle Smith Peters as assistants one and two. Uh we knew that Ryan Sharbaugh was gonna have some kind of role. Sharbaugh uh, was an assistant coach of Cleveland State. Uh, we knew that Matt Klein was on campus and working, so we knew that he was gonna have a role. Now we have those roles defined. So Ryan Charbaugh, uh Sharbaugh is gonna be the special assistant to the head coach. Um he was uh he was like the defensive coordinator.
1: Yeah, he was technically, I think, in charge of like teaching and overseeing aspects of Cleveland State's defense. defense. He had was a was on like a lot of these guys uh, had spent some time, I think, as a G.A. at Florida State, uh, but also has worked for Brian Wardell and kind of come from that coaching tree there. So uh, has has some connections uh, in the Midwest and, you know, has worked at Florida State. Then he also named Matt Klein as chief of staff, which
0: I don't think I've ever seen that role defined that way um, on a basketball staff. Um, A chief of staff for the the president basically runs the office, um, you know, doles out responsibilities, uh, sets, uh, helps set the agenda, executes the vision. Um, you know, so that's Matt Klein. So that's what he's going to do. Um, the director of scouting and analytics, uh, Michael Fly, who was uh, the head coach at Florida Gulf Coast. Um, yep. Florida Gulf Coast has, has, uh, had, has sort of fallen a little bit. Um, Andy Enfield. Parlayed that job into the USC job. He's since sort of helped build up USC to be um, a top 25-ish level team the last few years. Um, and then I just forgot the guy's name. Went to East Carolina. Um, Joe Dooley. That's it. Um, Dooley is a former uh, Kansas assistant coach. Uh, so he took over from Andy Enfield. And went to and- and uh what's that
1: went to ECU from there yeah yeah
0: so I, I thought you said VCU um yeah so he he took the eastern uh east carolina job and um but things have leveled off for florida gulf coast a little bit and so fly took over after after dooley left and and you know things went okay uh he didn't do a bad job he just didn't do uh, as good as you know, Enfield had done. So um, FGCU decided to make a move this blast off season, and Michael Fly uh, landed in Columbia as the director of scouting and analytics, which is that's a pretty substantial hire to make. Uh, and and having analytics in someone's job title, Matt, did that give you uh, goosebumps just a little bit?
1: little bit, but I, you know, I think then you got to look at the resume of the guy who's in that position. I almost sort of think the scouting might be a little bit more of the emphasis in that title. But I think the bigger thing that stood out to me about that move was that they stashed a former Division One head coach there. Um, you know, Ryan Charbaugh, you know, was a former Division One assistant. Michael Fly has had time at FSU and then, you know, was a head coach there. So they've essentially use these spots to park two former assistants. So you've basically got five, you know, assistant coaches on staff. Two are just in off-court roles. One's going to probably oversee scouting work, probably maybe advanced scouting work. Um, And if there's an analytics component built into that, great. But, man, this has been sort of a move that a lot of programs have made, which even if you're not having someone who's going to go speak at Sloan Sports Analytics Conference having another guy who's you know just doing the deep dive and doing scouting whether it's self scouts or you know advanced scouts on other teams it's it's helpful to have so that just seeing that they've kind of carved out that space was was telling to me
0: uh so chase goldstein director of basketball operations we all know what dobo's uh, do he uh yeah he had that role um
1: at cleveland state
0: at cleveland state it's you know, it's a lot of organizational stuff. you your, you're, you know, booking uh, schedules and stuff like that. Um, Sean.
1: Sean Connady. uh
0: Who's taking over as the director of athletic performance. Basically the strength coach. Uh, was at Oregon State. Yep. Last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Dalen King is the scouting coordinator. Uh he had been at Cleveland State for a while, worked with Gates. So he predated um Gates getting hired and stuck it out there under Gates. Uh did a good job enough to get hired as the scouting coordinator at Missouri. And then um Perrin Foot, uh, or maybe it's footy. What do you think?
1: I'm gonna say foot, but
0: uh Player development coordinator. I like that. I like that title. That's mm-hmm. like the the Drew Hamlin of uh, of Mizzou now. But
1: they've <laughs> what they've done is I think doubled probably the size of the off court staff. Probably created four new positions here. I mean, it's there are there have been player development coordinators before in the org chart. There have been Dobos. Sometimes you have special well, assistants. Yeah, so
0: player development coordinator was basically, Well, that was uh, Marco Harris's title or uh, close to it.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. Before he was moved I, on, before he was moved to the bench. Yeah, and promoted to a full time assistant. But you'll see special assistant to head coaches. You'll see dobos. You'll see, you know, player development coordinators. But and you'll have obviously have a strength coach. So those four positions are kind of lock, stock, and barrel at most places. Um, a chief of staff is a new title um director of scouting and analytics like i said that's kind of situation dependent like at alabama and north texas for example like those guys have like spoken at analytics conferences like they're doing like big data cuts and kind of culling some use it as some programs use it as a way to stash another assistant coach it really kind of depends on where you are and what kind of the delineation of responsibilities are um scouting coordinators exist at some places and others not. Um, but I think the bigger deal is that those guys, you know, also sort of serve as recruiting coordinators, you know, managing who's on campus, managing contacts, you know, they sort of backstop, you know, and do the kind of nitty gritty work to make sure that all that, you know, recruiting is sort of humming along. So I, I think the bigger deal here is that they've committed basically four new spots and they've imported guys to guys who have, Assistant coaching experience. And, you know, I think the structure of the staff here, we'll have to wait and see how it sort of functions. But, you know, we had talked in the last couple of years about, you know, it would probably behoove Missouri to bring in some more people with scouting experience, to bring in some people to, you know, bolster analytics or recruiting work. And they've done that. You know, this, we'll have to wait and see what the salary lines are here. But if you got, if you gave each of these guys, you know, at least 100 grand, you've probably, are going to go into the mid one fives for, you know, staff budget. That's far and away higher than what Gonzalo Martin and Cam Anderson had at their disposal. You know, this is the kind of investment I think you and I have talked about wanting to see the program make, not necessarily paying, you know, exorbitant salaries to all assistants, you know, Charlton Young's still getting a, a hefty paycheck, but really investing kind of in the back-of-the-house staff. You know, the the guys who are going to sort of, do all the work to sort of, you know, tee up recruiting to make sure that scouting's, you know, at a high level. Just the next level sort of organization and development work that, you know, really I think almost sort of rivals, you know, what you see for some NBA organization. So it's a just seeing the scale that they're working with now, it, it has to be heartening because it's a it's a that doesn't happen without a commitment of resources. And it's a commitment that, you know, I think you and I have know, been waiting to see for a while. So we'll have to see how the sort of roles flesh themselves out, but just the fact that they're bringing in these kinds of people and, you know, creating these kinds of spaces for them to operate is is heartening. I think for anybody who wants to see the program sort of, I think catch up to some other sec programs and other top in high majors.
0: Yeah. I think the, you know, the, the word that we've often talked about is, is the level of commitment that Missouri has and, this is a a a big step. So for me, it's just like, you know, who who the head coach is um is really immaterial to this because previously Missouri has been reluctant to kind of show the commitment that we sort of felt they needed if they wanted to compete um in the way that other I guess non-traditional basketball schools that, that are competing now uh, have already shown, and and you know, like it's something that we've been talking about and writing about for years. So it, it's very heartening um, for me, especially to 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 sort of see the uh, you know. And again, we don't know exactly what the numbers are, but I think your sort of estimates are safe. Um, like I would have a, I would be surprised if, if everybody out here was making like 40 grand, like, you know, chances are if the median ends up being about a hundred K, like that seems about right. And if that's the case, the Missouri is, as has done what we've basically been asking them to do, which is to show, um, that they're, they're committed, that they're willing to invest to the level that is needed these days uh, in order to compete. So yeah, like if you're, you're paying CY 600 K, you're paying him 600 K, uh, because he's, he's proven that he's, he's able to, uh, land the kind of talent that you need to succeed. Um, you don't need to pay your head coach, uh, you know, seven, $8 million a year because your chances are, you're not hiring somebody like John Calipari or Mike Krzyzewski. Like, Those guys earn that money. Um, you know Eric Musselman, uh, just signed a contract. What's he gonna make? Five million now. Yep. Um, like you don't need to have a coach that makes five million dollars to compete with a coach that makes five million dollars because the margin between, you know, being a five million dollar coach and not is is not that great, and it comes down to okay, so what can we do to sort of fill in the gaps? Where, you know, they have Dennis Gates. Maybe Dennis Gates turns into somebody like, uh, you know, Eric Musselman uh, has done as far as level of success. Um, You know, that's how those guys go and get paid is, is, you know, but shoot, like two years ago, what was it Eric Musselman making? 285. Yeah, which is, I mean, I think what Dennis is at two and a half. So basically, yeah. Um,
1: We had talked about basically what they've done here is that 1.5 million that you're not paying, like the median salary now is probably like closer to 4 million for some high major coaches. They've reallocated that part of that 1.5 million to equip Dennis Gates with the kind of support staff that's going to help elevate this program or that could potentially elevate the program. You didn't need to go, you could go spend $4 million, $5 million to hire Kevin Willard. Or you could try and do what Missouri's done here, which is hire a guy who's shown a lot of potential. And and give him the resources to go hire Charlton Young. You know, if you look at this staff, Dickie Nutt was a head coach. Kyle Smith Peters was a head coach. Michael Fly has been a head coach. There are guys on this staff that have, you know, been in, you know, Charlton Young was head coach. He's got former head coaches on this staff. He's got guys who he trusts who have, you know, worked with him or worked at Florida State who have been with him and helped execute a rebuild at Cleveland State. We'll see how that works here. You know, there there are a lot of familiar names and guys that he clearly, you know, trusts to do the job. But, you know, even if this, you know, regime, for lack of a better term, doesn't work, you hope that what Missouri's done here is a permanent thing. That this is a permanent mentality of, okay, we're going to, you know, fund six to eight off-court positions. We're going to give our head coach every opportunity to maximize their potential. And that's what they've done here. It feels as if there's been a realization looking around the rest of the SEC of we're behind. And if we're going to really do this – we we have to commit. And they and to be fair, they did the same thing for Eli Drinkwitz, you know, they came in and Eli got, you know, plenty of money to help go build a staff. So if that's where the administration is now, you know, where it's just a default we have to give our coach, you know, a baseline level of support comparable to our peers, that's a step forward. Late, but an important step that they've made. Yeah,
0: I'm I, I'm excited, you know, mainly for all the uh uh, you know the the writing and the all you know the breakdowns of of budgets uh, just to see like you know a, a you know a staff that looks like uh, it's ready to you know to compete in the SEC. And you know obviously there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, you know and we'll talk in future podcasts about like what kind of players um, you know they're they're going to be able to bring in. You know clearly. I think right now, you know, Gates has is, is tried to sort of build out this roster in a way that uh, he thinks he can maybe patch over a few holes that, um, you know, they can they can still be competitive without maybe, you know, yet having all the high end talent. Um, you know, but certainly, uh, you know, having qualified coaches, having a, a, a deep bench uh, is, is certainly going to help put Missouri in. Uh, in a in a better light in the in the coaching community because I know like you know the the view was long held that that Missouri was was a good job but not a great job and, were cheap. and that lo- that level of investment um, yeah they, I mean they were cheap like I always have said like there's a reason why Mike Anderson was looking around every off season. he was trying to get Mike Alden to give him more money and not just for his own pocketbook <laughs> but but for his staff, um, you know, and like R- Rick Barnes
1: is, uh, got too deep for got, like, go ahead. He's got too deep, a <laughs> too deep crew on the bench and he uses his leverage every year to get him a five or 10% pay raise.
0: Yeah. So it's just like, if you, if you look around and you watch other programs, if you're able to, you know, like attend an onsite, uh, you know, practice, like if, wherever you live, if there's an NCAA tournament, you know, game coming, uh, you know, to your area, you know, make it out, try to make it out to one of those practices and just see the amount of like people that are
1: like In Palos, around, not the head coaches.
0: Uh, yeah. Around the the players and like helping and doing all these things like that's what happens at Tennessee. It's what happens at like Texas A&M. It's what happens at Auburn and Matt it's happened at Missouri. So, um, hopefully that means that better results are are going to
1: follow yeah yeah i we'll talk about it probably at a future date but the the build here and you know i think the one thing that sort of stuck out to me was it was deflating i think for folks obviously to see Jamar and sharp stay put you know i think you know the whispers around you know was adam miller really a viable guy you know seeing you know that no it was going to be tcu lsu Took some more air out of the balloon. Um this was this has been a solid build. Like I, I think the is it perfect? No. Like can you look at this roster and go, oh yeah, there, there there's some there's some spots that need patching, but you know, I, I think the one thing I wanted to see more than anything else was what was this process gonna look like? You know, what process, you know, was Dennis Gates gonna use when it was just him early on and as he started to onboard people. What was this sort of retrofitting going to look like? And, you know, I know people will probably, you know, say that we're, you know, setting expectations too low by saying that, you know, winning 15 or 16 games next year is progress. But, you know, just by building a roster that has a coherent plan with pieces that fit Missouri will probably what win three or four more games just by having a logical sort of roster with some real thought and intention behind it. You know, I think that's not a swipe at Conzo Martin, but the vision he laid out didn't materialize in the roster. He assembled, it just didn't match at all. You know, when you put on the tape of the guys he brought in and what he was asking them to do just were fundamentally at odds. You know, I've spent the last month watching way too much tape of these guys that they're bringing in. They kind of fit what Dennis Gates once tells you he wants to do, and what he did at Cleveland State. And sixteen wins doesn't sound like a lot, but you know if this team gets it right and they get to seventeen, eighteen, you know that that's a great first year, you know, for completely gutting the roster and rebooting. So I think that that's what's been heartening is to see that they've they've really I think followed what seems to be a pretty sound process for putting this roster together. It, even if folks, you know, are disappointed that it's not going to be a uh, you know a team that's going to go from bottom of the SEC standings to a potential NCAA tournament bid in one year, I think they've they've done a lot of a lot of really good legwork so far. Yeah, and if you're talking about,
0: oh, um, you know, like the long term build, uh, like I I like the approach, and I think if what you're really wanting to do here is is reestablish Missouri as like a, a good brand, you know, like to, to make sure like the kids that, you know, are being offered in, you know, 2025, by the time they're ready to make their college decision, you know, they've seen that, that the program has risen, um you know, from kind of the depths that it's, it's seen in, in, you know, the last 10 years or so. So um it's all positive steps of, I don't know that there's anything else that you and I needed to talk about in this nope, pod. No, nope. like it seems weird. There hasn't really been a whole lot of news. Um, obviously, the coaching staff being solidified—that's big news. Martin Sharp is big news. Outside of that, it's been pretty quiet. And been, even our, a quiet our little period right combo now. with uh, with our friend Matt Watkins has been uh, pretty quiet too. Um, just not a lot to talk about. Um, So, hopefully, if nothing else materializes like recruiting with the 2022 class over the next couple weeks, I think we'll probably just start looking into some of the uh, discussion of who they're offering. You know, guys who are at least talking about coming onto campus, because I think they've they've sort of reached out to some 23 kids who are certainly intriguing. Um, And I know fans will like it because some of them have the right number of stars next to their name. Um so we'll talk about some of the those guys if if nothing else has uh has happened in a couple of weeks. What do you think?
1: Yeah. I gotta catch up on film, I guess. I it was it's been nice not having to to chew clips and to chew through full games for the last ten days or so uh for a while. Well, how
0: much Jamarian Sharp did you uh watch only to basically have it not matter? <laughs>
1: uh I watched eight full games. Woo. It, eight full games. Um thankfully there are YouTube channels out there, there are YouTubers out there now who will like will just cut all the commercials. Like they will cut a 215 broadcast down to like 56 minutes. And if you have like stat broadcast up, you can basically just figure out when a guy subs in and subs out. So you will probably only watch like 35 minutes of actual tape. You can chew through three games in about an hour and a half. So it's mm-hmm. possible like there are people out there who are just as sadistic as and masochistic as I am and will chop these things down. But yeah, no, uh, there's, uh, eight games and probably 120 clips that went out the window as a result of, uh, Jamarian staying put, but I'm not mad at Jamarian. I'm not mad at him. As I said earlier, I'm happy for him in Western Kentucky. So, uh, but that, yeah, that's, that's the level of, uh, uh, overwork i subject myself to
0: and there's a big question in the cusa next year is is whether or not uh you know western kentucky can take down the powerhouse that our boy ak is building in birmingham
1: this is an ak hive we always stand we stand for uh, (laughs) we don't stand for stan we stand for ak yeah Uh, some of us Uh, some of us stand for uh grant mccaslin but this is an ak hive too
0: uh yeah, I I feel like we've gotten Watkins on the on the R with the AK stuff he I think he's always going to be a McCausland guy but um sorry McCaslin that's that's the St Louis enemy
1: McCausland Avenue you can't get um, rid of it but <laughs> but no we'll we'll dive into the twenty twenty threes uh over the next couple of weeks there by then the list will probably have doubled these guys are firing out basically two offers a day at this point there. We wondered how quickly they would build the board out, and they have not. Uh, they've not hesitated. They are um, working quickly. This this new large staff is uh, quickly building recruiting boards. So uh, it'll be. I'll be eager to get into some of that tape uh, over the next couple of weeks.
0: Well, cool. Uh, well, with that being said. Uh, I want to say thank you for tuning in. Uh, if you like this, you should probably make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast feed wherever you uh, you download or listen to your podcast. Uh, for me, it's Apple Podcasts, but if you're a Google guy, the Google Play Store, I think you can find them there. Uh, Spotify, uh, I think it works there too. Um, if you're subscribed, all these episodes get beamed along with before the box score directly into your phone. You can listen to Nate and DK dissect all oh, there is to no know about Mizzou football. Uh, you probably also enjoy reading more over at theflagshiprocketmation.com. You can always do the Twitter thing. Give Matt a follow at harris 85 You can follow me if you like at Sam P. Snelling. All complaints go to Levi. Uh, Levi, thanks for cutting this together. Uh, and we'll be back in two weeks. Hopefully we'll have uh, more stuff to talk about, um, including some some recruiting 2022 action. Uh, special action. So until then, thanks for tuning in. Uh, Have a good two weeks.